And Connor, you have uh, a memory or two to share from the Windy City Open from your time I, with us, I'm sure. I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Connor, Connor told me that he actually founded the Windy City Open. True or false? <laughs> <laughs> Considering I wasn't even born then. How old were you in 1982? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uncovering the truth. Right. Hey there, Squash fans, and thanks for coming back to another episode of The Breakdown with myself, Connor O'Malley, and my co-host, Bill Buckingham, and PJ Paul Johnson. In this episode, we catch up with John and Yoni from the University Club of Chicago, who are part of the team running one of the longest-running squash events out there with a 40-year tradition of the Windy City Open. During our chat, we solve a few mysteries, like how do you get a 12,000-pound glass court up onto the ninth floor of a downtown club? Also, how has the event promoter John Flanagan set the record for the largest prize money event not once, twice, three times, but four times? But the first mystery we reveal is how do you pronounce Yoni's last name? The Windy City Open is a great event and has put Chicago at the top of the global squash stage, and we go behind the curtains to share a little bit more about this amazing event. Quick thank you to our sponsor, ProSport LED who actually has some very interesting developments going on. They are strengthening their partnerships within the racket sports world. They are partnering up with Padel Plus to bring Padel courts into the United States and the UK. And just like their LED lights, these are premium quality courts at great prices. What's also unique about Padel Plus is their canopy roof structure that has all of the great qualities of getting an outdoor playing experience but you have the dependability, you can play your match regardless of rain or snow. So if you know of anyone interested in lights or padel courts, please go ahead and put us in touch. Reach out to us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. What about this? This call is being recorded. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of The Breakdown with my co-hosts, Bill Buckingham and PJ Paul Johnson. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Good afternoon, chaps. Connor, doing great, doing great. Paul Call lost last night, so we the Paul Call jinx, the, uh, the TB, TBD Paul Call jinx in full effect after we extolled all his virtues in our last podcast. Paul went down uh, to Diego Elias, um, and world number one uh, with a target on his back uh, proved... Um, Proved maybe a little too much for him. You look a little bit upset today. You do look a bit flat today, Bill. I mean, we know. I'll tell you what, Paul Call losing is, yeah, like some people like, you know, like the Yankees, the Giants, my, all my sports teams are horrible here in New York. And Paul Call was my one shining light. And um, so just another loss. So what are you going to do? You look, hey, just know though, he looked good on court. If you, I, I'm sure. Might have lost, but he still looked beautiful. That's all the look. That's all, yeah, that's all that matters. It's all that matters. Well, other than uh, continuing on. Bill's obsession with Paul Cole. We're actually going to be doing a slightly different show this time where we have a major event coming up in the U.S., uh, and that's coming out of Chicago, and we have the event team on the call with us to join us. I'd like to welcome uh, John Flanagan and Yoni from the University Club of Chicago and the, the team of the Windy City Open. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks a lot. It's good to be here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And you said John Flanagan and Yoni. I just want to make sure everyone knows we're not a couple. He has a last name. It's Yoni. (laughs) (laughs) Have some guts, Connor. Try to pronounce the last name. I should turn over. Well, Bill, because you're the MC here, 
uh, I'm going to, I, I, this is the first time I've ever seen Yoni face to face. We've emailed quite a, quite often <laughs> actually. Um, so I'm going to go with Elias. Like yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you out. Just go letter E, and then the word loose, and then you're good. A loose. Elus. No, Elus. Yeah, I don't see any I in there. I don't see any I in the last name there, Bill. Sorry. Elias <laughs> is obviously the Peruvian humor. Well, people, <laughs> don't, people, people don't usually mess up his uh, last name, but there's still a lot of people at the club who call him Yanni, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yanni? That's that's definitely only okay if you're from down south or texas or somewhere there <laughs> well pleasure to have you on and looking forward to getting into it. and just a little bit how we're gonna do this show is talk a little bit about the history of the the windy city open a little bit about the university club and then we'll get into the the back end of it talking about the draws because that's actually a big reason of why everyone will be uh showing up for the uh for the event but i'd like to kick it off a little bit about there's a lot of heritage to this uh, Windy City Open going back to, uh, what would you just say, 1982? That's right. That was the first one. So a 40-year history here uh, in the making. And what is one of, since it's become a glass court event, which was one of the major ones in the U.S., what are one of the like war stories or the stories that is most memorable to you about the Windy City Open? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go first because we figured out a lot of things as we moved along and uh, Yoni does a ton of behind the scenes work, but I usually manage the load in and load out process more. So yeah, the first year we did it, we, we used a, uh, the ASB court and in, in brief, there was a miscommunication about the length of some of the pieces. So when it showed up Sunday morning, uh, like the long beams, that that structure uh, that hold the structure up on the corners, they wouldn't fit. There was a, a, we did a test run with them, but there was a flange at the bottom of each one that we weren't informed about and it, it, it wouldn't make a turn. So um, I, I walked around the building with the chief engineer. Uh, we talked about, could we bring it up through a window? Could we crane it? How could we do it? Et cetera, et cetera. There's no way we could figure it out. The, goal, the plan was always to put it on top of the elevator to move it up, but we couldn't get it through the hallway because it wouldn't make a turn for a couple doors. So I'm walking around, you know, first glass court event at the club. My heart's like racing through. Uh, I'm, it's probably the closest I've ever come to having a heart attack because like, hey, <laughs> people gave us all this money and I've only been at the club for like two years and I might see my career going down the tubes. But uh, <laughs> the general manager and the chief engineer, uh, chief engineer had been out at a bachelor party the night before. So he, you know, was not in the greatest shape that morning, but great guy, Marty Keene and uh, general manager John Spillett came down. And together with a sledgehammer and a sawzall, uh, opened up a doorway and cut out some of the quarterson oak to uh, <laughs> make a pathway through. <laughs> wow. When I saw the GM with a sawzall cutting the quarterson oak, I'm like, yeah, there goes my job. I, they're going to keep me until the tournament's over, then I'm gone. But no, to me, that that's like the most memorable load-in piece. There's other horror stories, but that, that we got it in, we got it done. We all sat down and had a beer and a laugh at the end of the day. So. Are, are there still uh, kind of remnants of that craft work that went on, the cut, or has that been kind of covered over now? No. What they what they did was they made they they uh, they left that wide opening and they just had uh, mill workers come in and restructure it and build a closet there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! So how, how did you how did you unload it? Same way, just out back the same way and just fit it right through that. Yep. Exactly backwards. Yep. Yeah. 
I mean, wow. it still looked pretty rough then. It took some time to finish that uh, millwork up, but but now we have it down like to a science where you know the first day it probably took you know twelve or fourteen hours. Now it takes us about six uh, to get it in. So, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. That's what you forget about the the setup there at the university club is most glass courts are just ground level. You guys right. are having to kind of erect this thing on the ninth floor of a a very unique kind of building so that's probably something that most events in actual fact i can't think of any other other event where the glass court is put above kind of kind of that ground that in that entrance level so that's a pretty yeah. unique setup there if you think about everywhere else that you play tournament of champions the, the pyramids canary wharf it's literally just a straightforward entry th through the front doors and then you, you're right there but you guys have got to get it up yeah, ninth floor, right? At the, at yeah, the yeah, ninth floor. It's got a, yeah. you know, the long yeah. piece, the glass goes on there. You know, this 120-year-old building, so wasn't built yeah. for wasn't built for this kind of stuff. So the glass all fits on our small freight elevator, but the the long pieces, uh, uh, frame pieces for the floor, etc., go on top. And we've got a professional elevator engineer who comes in and runs it up slow, and then we walk it through the kitchen. Right, that's classic. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, the same thing with all the staging, the risers and everything, the chairs. But it's a great team, you know. The McQuill Court guys are great. Rod Eldridge, David Carl, them guys, and our crew at the and club. How long would that take start to finish, the moment you start bringing in the first pieces to, to the moment it's fully erected so, and ready to go? Well, so the, from the moment, so we start, you know, get the forklift, start unloading things off the van, getting it up there. Yeah. I think that takes about six hours now maybe seven and then the crew takes a break and then they lay out the framework stuff like that so that's sunday then monday they work all day tuesday all day and then usually we give them another day to get everything done but when wow. we did the world championships this last july figured out it can be done in three days so sunday monday tuesday so tuesday by the end of the day because like you know you've got to put all the stickers on the court the decals yeah. of the, and the staging and all that kind of stuff so yeah so this will be the first year we're, we're splitting the quarterfinals uh, because we'll have the court up and ready to play for eight days. So we're Yoni and I are excited to split the quarterfinals. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It's imp it's impressive. Every time I went like you guys, your turn, the Windy City Open and the TOC are the two tournaments where I'm always awed by the setup in the court and how difficult it is and all the, the process that you go through. So that was interesting to hear that. The TOC, I usually, you know, I was commuting into work and I'd always go the first day they started loading stuff in there. And it was, a, I mean, it was a mess. I mean, just a mess and I'm looking at it and saying, how on earth is this ever going to come together and become a glass court? Like there's no chance. Well, and then of course, two days later, there it is. And they're playing squash on it. It is crazy. Yoni posted a, a time-lapse video. Didn't you, Yoni? Yes. A few days ago, I posted a time-lapse video on, uh, on social, uh, for people to see like the, it's about a minute long, uh, and you can see the glass court erect in cathedral hall. It's pretty cool. It's a bird. It's a bird's eye view, which is another special feature in cathedral hall. There's like a bird's eye view. A point where there's some technical equipment from the club um, but it gives a great vantage point of uh, like seeing the court come up and like how much work like you see all the forklifts driving around real quick and eight nine people at a time working on everything so it's pretty cool check it out if you haven't what's the capacity there uh, we since we took away sidewall seating uh, like we did for the world championships with to give the players uh, a more appropriate space <laughs> in between matches where are we only like 225 something like that yeah, I'm going to say a little over 200, 200 uh, including the corporate sponsor lounge and the extra areas. Um, still taking care of the PSA squash TV and crew and uh, bar areas, etc. I, I think there there is an upside to just to the, the unique 
setup that you have there because we we spoke about this quite a lot at the Canary Wharf tournament. When you do have such a small area like that, from a player's perspective, when you have that very intimate and it's very kind of like a gladiatorial feel where the fans are on top of the court, that actually helps the play. When you're in these big open spaces, you, for me as a, as a player and a, and a commentator now, I feel that you you do lose a lot of that atmosphere, but that's something that's always been great at the Windy City is because the you've got the VIPs through the front wall and then, you know, look when the players come off the court in between games, literally within three feet, you've got the back row of, of the patrons and the sponsors and then the, the fans that are watching. That, to me, aids and, and helps that kind of environment, personally. Yeah, also during the early it. rounds. The early rounds, like at Drexel, for when we had the U.S. Open at, you know, at the Drexel Gymnasium, early rounds during the day during the week when literally there's like 25 people there and it, the capacity is like 3000 or whatever it was it just it, it looked terrible it wasn't a good vibe at all it was kind of just like going to play play in the in, you know the middle of outer space so yeah. uh, the more intimate venue definitely the better for better. sure yeah agreed i think when we're selling it like to people we tell them you know hey there's not a bad seat in the house and i think people think <laughs> we're people think we're blowing smoke but i've sat everywhere in that building and in the arena and there really isn't a bad seat. Um, right. It's Wrigley Field, right? As compared to Yankee <laughs> Stadium. A small, intimate venue like Fenway Park uh, always makes for better viewing, a better fan experience for sure. Right. But question, were, were, what was your involvement with the World Championship at the train station? Did, did you help with that setup at all? Yeah, a little bit. One of our amazing volunteers in the community, Bill James, who's an architect, helped oh, yeah. design the, uh, the layout for it. But yeah, I was involved. It was a team effort. I think really Andy uh, Malley and Tim Garner did more of the the heavy lifting there but i still yeah, the reason i go ahead the reason i bring it up is it is as difficult as a build as it may be at the university club the familiarity of it, at this point is has to be more comforting than taking it to a new wide open space like the train station oh, where you've never seen it before. For, for sure and that we're going to host the world championships again in 2023 and we're trying to find the right venue so i have a question for pj you were pj you were saying that you know you like these small venues and i i agree with everything yeah. you're saying there but What's the ideal? So Cathedral Hall is about 4,000 square feet, okay? Okay. So what's yep. what's the uh, – so I'm trying to find a spot for the World Championships. I, I, I've been telling people the ideal space is about 6,000 to 8,000 square feet. Do you think that's about right? I would have said around six, yeah. I just think um, if you could – around a court of that magnitude anywhere, 500, 500 capacity, if you could right. get that kind of a number around there. but. The, the, the closer the fans get to the court and the, the, the closer the seating is, mm -hmm. you just really want that kind of real bare, bare cage atmosphere, you know, right. you, where, where the, the fans feel like they're on the court and the players feel like they're literally in the middle of, a, you know, the Coliseum where they're, they're literally just being surrounded by, by spectators. That's what the players feed off the best. They, they do a great job of that at the Tournament of Champions where you can see that right. that whole seating up the back and then off, off the side walls where, you know, everybody then feels part of the, the matches that are going on. Whereas in these bigger wide up, although they could be stunning from a spectacle standpoint, from a, from an atmosphere perspective, I feel that that does get lost a little bit. But somewhere in that 6,000 region, mm -hmm. up to eight, as long as it then doesn't start to move to the the... the seating doesn't move too far away from the court itself right that would that would be a key component for me uh especially yeah. as, a, as a as a you know an ex-player 
Speaking of the world championships, and, and it, I, I thought about it uh, with the TOC moving from uh, from a January time to a May time and, and thinking about what, what, what's the difference of the vibe going to be. You guys experienced that because you ran the world championships in the summertime what, what, at the university club. What, was the vibe different because it was summertime? Was there any difference in the play? Anything that you could see besides the fact, obviously, it was warm outside when you walked outside? Um. Yoni, what did you think about the, the difference? I think the timing. I think the timing was really nice. Obviously, the players are used to uh, the Windy City Open being in February, being very cold, uh, Midwest snow, ice. Uh, I think it was a nice break for them. Uh, I think they got to experience the uh, the city a lot more and see what it has to offer besides uh, the tournament. So I think that's that's really nice. I thought the vibe was good. Uh, we were so happy that we were able to. Um, go together with the PSA and like still host the world championships after, after everything that was going on, you know, to put that on for the players and have them be uh, deserving of that price purse, the, the tournament points, et cetera. So I think, I think the vibe was great. It was a little bit restricted, um, but I think everybody was just so glad that we were able to, to host and have it, that it was fantastic. And I think uh, something that I'll, all of you know is that all the players have unique relationships wherever they go so all the patrons all the billets and all the all the people all the members at the u club have have standing relationship with with all the players not just the u.s players and i think the timing of the year really gave them more of a chance to show them like everything that chicago has to offer besides the tournament so i i thought it was i thought it was really nice i thought it was really good i heard i heard i got a lot of positive feedback from everybody I was doing a, a little bit of a pulse check with some of the players too. And to your point, but here's what I heard several times. Like, honestly, we didn't think it ever got warm in Chicago. <laughs> they've been coming there, you know, a lot of these players for five, yeah. 10, even 15 years, and they had never seen Chicago outside right. of these every yeah. March timeframe. So it was, uh, there's definitely brings, I think it brings a whole different atmosphere for the players and the crowd too, right. Uh, to kind of get this, this uh, yeah. experience. Yeah. I'm curious about the TOC coming up in May because it, it, the TOC, as you guys know, when people come in, it, it's dead of winter. So a lot of the people who aren't there for squash go wandering through uh, grand central station and stop and watch because they don't want to go outside <laughs> in the cold. So there's like a respite yeah. for them to be, to be warm for a bit. So they stop, they watch for a bit. They're wow, cool. This is cool. Now I'm going to bundle up and go outside. So I'm curious in May for the TOC, not to get off the windy city subject um, the tournament, but what the atmosphere will be like if it'll be any different. So just, just as uh, in interested to see that. I think it was kind of cool. Like a couple of things that I saw on social was like Greg Marsh, like uh, renting a Divi bike and coming from where he was staying to, to U club, you know, with his squash <laughs> bag and just getting a practice hit in before his matches, like things like that. Like um, some of the ladies on the tour, just enjoying like the park after a, a morning practice hit, things like that. It was uh yeah, it made for it made for good scenes instead of uh, having uh, having Joey and PJ in the alcove uh, freezing <laughs> and seeing a frozen tundra outside. So yeah, it made for a good change of scenery. Um, what sort of number of players would be billeted out there, Yoni? Do you know? Because that's quite a unique setup these days, especially for some of the top top guys and girls. They're normally staying in the hotels and stuff. I didn't I didn't wasn't aware that they go off and stay with family. Um so it 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 has changed a little bit. So we've we've gone from being the smaller size non glass court event when that was a huge thing to now being the glass event and um, players more staying at the, at the hotel obviously. Okay. But I think even if they're not staying with some of the families, the relationships are there. Like you said, like the players have been coming 
coming for some of them for 10 plus years. Yeah. You know, they have their fan bases, they have their families. Um, so whether they're staying with them or not, they have like huge support group and, and they come out in drones to, to support their place with whatever it is. And, um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like that's, that's something that's like always really awesome to see. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I'm thinking back when Hania and maybe Noran and uh, Gohar and Salma, Haney first started coming, they were underage, you know, like they were teenagers and their parents were <laughs> yeah. like we don't want them to stay in a hotel on their own so i, I think they stayed with rohini day one of our uh, awesome committee members and yeah now they stay in the hotel and stuff but like yoni said yeah they they stay in touch and they're still so close with these folks that's so cool yeah wait 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 there's more hey quick time out to hear a word from our sponsor so how are your squash courts looking these days are the ball marks starting to add up? Do your courts need some attention and care? Well, in the US, there's a new solution coming your way. Pro Sport Court can be your one-stop shop for all your court care needs, from standard cleaning, painting, floor sanding, all the way up to lighting upgrades. Pro Sport Court can have your courts looking like new. Reach out to squashradio at gmail.com to learn more. Now back to our show. With no TOC in January, this little extra shine on this tournament. So that all the players, both men and women, haven't got together for a large event in quite some time uh, since Egypt. And Egypt was weak. Um, you know, they didn't even play together. So a little more shine on the Windy City Open this year because of that, correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. We're excited to have everybody back. And with the World Championships, we didn't allow any seating behind our 11th floor courts. But this year we are uh, for the Windy City. So... There's some great first round matches looks like that are going to be there. And we're talking about being nimble. We, I got to give a, a shout out and props to, uh, we've got two touring pros and residents at the club now, Nathan Lake and Haley Mendez are training at the club. She's uh, at the Booth School, uh, University of Chicago. So uh, we were all really pleased for Nathan when he got that lucky loser spot in <laughs> Houston <laughs> a while back and took advantage of it. So. Yeah, and he had a fantastic um, match, several several good matches this week. But he played against um, Jago um, this week, 3-1. Uh, went down, unfortunately, but um, that was... Uh, Same scoreline as Paul Coldest. No, there's no shame in that. I, I was going to... Yeah, no, just overall, like, looking at the match and, and whatnot. Very solid performance, so very good for him. Yeah. yeah, he says he he tells us all of his money, prize money that he's he's now garnering all this prize money that he never never got before because of his his play has been so stellar. He says, but every time he does it, uh, Haley um, orders a new wedding ring and a new engagement ring. And, you know, <laughs> he, he, after his lucky loser uh, pick, he said Haley literally texted him and said, "I found some new jewelry." So um, <laughs> the, the the money's going quick, so he needs needs to keep up his play. Um, puts the pressure on it, it yeah. does put the pressure on so uh, i have i have a, a question about i was looking at the website the other day I, I love your guys taglines when you put uh at the windy city open and this year it's the highest order of squash who who, who yes. comes up with those uh with those taglines um actually uh, that one andy mcafee came up with that one uh, or was it you yoni i, I thought it no was... i think it was i think it was actually me based off of oh. a poster that andy did oh yeah um because we're obviously like on the ninth floor Mm -hmm. uh, being higher, yep. uh, only other tournament that I can think of was the, the Hong Kong one where they're also on top of the, uh, of the hotel. And then we went back and forth and I looked at a couple of other lines that New York has, et cetera. And I don't know, it just came about probably in a team meeting where we were just bouncing ideas off of each other. And, uh, yeah, it was, that, that was, that was, a uh, one that stuck. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Good branding. 
another thing that's kind of cool they they haven't approved it yet but um we're already in full use so i'm hopeful that they're uh, in agreement of things is uh, one of our partners is the chicago sports committee and choose chicago uh, they've been very helpful on social trying to uh, promote the event and just getting more eyeballs on squash and getting more uh, more people to uh, come visit the event their one-liner is going to be like that's why you choose chicago because that's obviously their name so hopefully that's another one that's going to stick and um yeah, hopefully uh, with their help, we'll get more people. Um, like you said, like in those early rounds, we're doing whatever we can because I feel like any player that is even playing the first round deserves all the seats to be filled and to have that atmosphere. Yoni's been running a great, doing a great job with the PR and running a, a bunch of great promotions, you know, discounts for different groups. And Choose Chicago has been helpful with us contacting the consulates. Then we're going to have a flash sale next week for our club members. So we want like a question. I know we're the guests on the podcast, but I kind of have a question um, that I thought of as we're as we're talking. So being from from Europe, being from the Netherlands myself, and now being here in the U.S. ten years, people always compare uh, intimate atmosphere, bigger venue. Uh, how are the fan engagements? How do you guys see that? Because I I see the tournament in in France in in Nantes, and. The people go absolutely nuts. They have the air horns, et cetera. Like, what is what is your guys' opinion on where is the balance? I feel like we always have a, a very well-educated crowd, and I, you want to see it rowdier, but then you also want to keep control over what's going on on the match. I'm like, what is what is your thoughts on that? I'm very curious. Like, PJ, Bill, Connor, I think it's great. I, I you know, what it's interesting to me because down so down in Houston, it was a very intimate atmosphere. But if anybody like blinked, the players on court were like, could you stop them from blinking? And oh. that, and then in the, but yet they play at the TOC where there's people streaming by and there's trained horns blaring and things like that. So it's, it's a very odd, odd thing. I think it has to do with what they're used to. So I think if mm. you've got, if they come into the, uh, I think it's kind of like, what's the tournament, the golf tournament in Phoenix, those, the waste, waste management, management. Tournament. yeah. Right. So those players are used to, they know coming in, this is what it's going to be like here. It's not going to be a normal golf tournament. So I think if you set a precedent, I think it would be great. Cause to me, the, watching squash on squash TV, PJ and the group, they do such a great intro, like with the lights flashing and like, you know, the intros in the d dark and the, it looks like a Vegas show, but then you get on like the, the players get on court and it's dead silent. And all you hear is the dish, the dish dish of the warm-up yeah. and it kind of it's kind of a buzzkill a little bit right so if that was continuous throughout the match i think it would be make for much better viewing for sure on squash tv and obviously a much better experience for the people like who are actually there yeah i mean i don't I, i'm not a player so it's tough for me to you know as a that's just as a fan i mean i'm in agreement with you bill but then it, it's obviously unique to to where you're playing at the time yoni references the, the tournament down in Nantes and the guys down there what's so interesting about the crowd that you have down in france not many of them are from squash backgrounds not some of them don't yeah. they've, they're actually watching the game for the first time but they have a way of, of engaging they get djs involved they make it much more of like a, a nightclub atmosphere which for that area and that that venue is ideal given the clientele base that you have at somewhere like the u club that's that's just not going to work. So yeah. it's all about knowing your audience. But the more the audience can feel like a part of the game itself, for me, if, if anything, the players, Bill, you're talking about them getting a bit frustrated with slightly slight movements going on, and they're going to have to suck that up. If, if they want to grow the profile of the game and want more interaction with 
they're going to have to break the mold of the old traditional days of a couple of claps at the end of a rally and silence while plays taking place. They need to adapt and move with the times. One of the best atmospheres on tour, you could you could use the tournament of champions. There's no way you're going to be able to control a crowd. And the later matches in the evenings on the weekends, notoriously, you know, more partisan, people have had a few drinks and that's when the atmosphere is at its best, from, especially from a TV perspective. But... I had similar things when when we played on tour and I had no issue with a bit of noise that was going on because it just everybody was getting a little bit more involved with the game itself. So the, what's the balance? The only I think it's, as I said, it's knowing your audience, but if, if there can be a, a more vibrant atmosphere going on, trying to get them as engaged and involved, that for me is, it's only, it only helps the cause. Yeah, I think the rowdier the better just yeah. for everything in general. And and I know um, when we were, the committee back when I was there um, was really tuned into this kind of stuff. And I think, I mean, we were experimenting with cowbells, putting out cowbells and like noisemakers. So I do think there's an opportunity and, and certainly we'll have to wait till kind of we get past COVID maybe. I don't know, depending on yeah, what we can do. But enough. But it's like, what is that signature thing that the crowd is for? So, is it Detroit where they or where they throw the squid or the octopus yeah, onto the at, the at the Red Wings games? Yeah, at the Red. So, I think there's a we're already spelling out this kind of graph of like different cultures and how they how they do it. But I think there's an opportunity for Chicago to really embrace that because I I do see a lot of the crowd want because they've known these players, seen them growing up, seen them come through. Uh, we have the Americans breaking through on on the women's side, like the crowd wants to cheer. It's just, yeah. it's, it's giving them almost permission to do it. And we don't have that how to just yet. Right. And okay. I think on social media, like the, 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 um, the images you could put out and the videos you could put out, if there was a little more interaction with the crowd, I mean, I, darts as an example, if you watch some of these viral videos of the darts championships that go on now and the crowd's just going absolutely berserk while these guys are basically trying to focus and throw a little dart into a little circle and you know, the crowd's going nuts and it's awesome. And it really, really compelling viewing on YouTube and on, you know, on uh, Twitter and on Instagram. So you get, you get yeah. certain sessions at the Windy City as well. Um, you know, especially. Oh, definitely. Coming yeah. In the, in the later rounds. In the later yeah. rounds, you, you, you get, the yeah. mix. Uh, you know, it's a bit more partisan and, and that, that for me is when, you know, you, you know that you're in the heart of the tournament then, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. Definitely. What I hear is usually the biggest difference in this is always the role of the MC. So, you know, <laughs> I was just going to say, Bill, you got to wind up the crowd for us, buddy. Hey, hey, hey I, I got I got a lot of lot of heat in heat in Houston. Uh, I was told that I was over the top on the squash stories uh, uh, on Facebook. That isn't this MC a little over the top? So I commented. I said, actually, yes, he's been skating by on his good looks for years. So um, <laughs> I mean, we actually get that feedback on this podcast a lot, too. So um, no, it's this, true. It's, Bill's dial. You, you will not have to worry about that. You may have to, like, calm me down and, like, say, Bill, a little less coffee. You know, it's it, it is squash. So it's a genteel crowd. So relax a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be. I, a, I, uh, it'll be John, John, I have a, a quick question for you, actually. Um, I've been coming to the Windy City for a number of years now, and this is something that I haven't seen in any other venue. In the crowd, every now and again, you get these gentlemen that wear these very bright green or very bright red jackets. Can you maybe shed a little bit of light on who these people are and what what, what the difference is between the red jackets and the green jackets? Is it some sign of elite group or? Sure, or what yeah, it's not, it's, it's not like skull and crossbones. It, it's not a secret right. handshake or anything, but <laughs> oh, okay. uh, but basically, uh, you, you get a green jacket. Uh, 
if you're uh, if you've sponsored, I think five members, five people to be okay. members of the university club, then you're in the okay. order of the owl. Okay. When, when you wear that green jacket, you go to the president's bar and you get a complimentary. Your first drink is complimentary. So, okay. right. And then the the red ones are uh, crystal owls. They're called. And I think they've okay. sponsored 10 or more people and they have a okay. special, we have a special dinner every year uh, for both of those groups, you know, where, you know, everybody is having a good time and well-served and it's the order of the aisle. So you're the whole, you know, 200, 200 people doing that in Cathedral Hall and some, it's really clubby kind of stuff. It's, it's fun. So yeah, that's what the, uh, the red and green. You'll see Sam Sisodia sporting that red. Well, I was about to say, I've become, <laughs> become good friends with Sam over the years. I, I know his son. Uh, I know his son pretty well, Nick. He was up in Boston for a period, and, and his son and I used to hit. So I, I got to meet Sam. Um, so it's going to be interesting because you mentioned earlier that anybody that was either eating or drinking wouldn't have to wear a mask. So I'm assuming that we won't see Sam Sisodia wearing a mask at any stage. Right? Ooh, I love it. Ooh. <laughs> oh, he likes um, his, he likes his food, and he's always sipping, uh, sipping on a nice glass of red. So, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. He likes to have a good time. Yeah, time. exactly. No, and he's <laughs> but he's he, you know as he's a physician. You know, I don't know if he's one of the leading authorities on Alzheimer's in the world. And um, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, so, very generous guy i mean no, it's time the, the squash tv crew have been having dinner around the corner engaged and uh mr sasodi has come in and he's taking care of the bill and he sent over another two bottles of red oh, i mean he's nice. such a lovely man it's yeah. a lovely guy lovely lovely so i'm looking you know, forward to seeing sam again yeah. we're we're blessed at the university club you know i've been there 23 yeah. years the membership is great really yeah. fantastic yeah. Well, just on so, that God. like at the heart of uh, the Windy City Open is, I mean, this is a, a the University Club is a, a member club, and they really are the heartbeat to uh, encourage uh, pursuing more and more higher level squash events. So talk a little bit about how the committee uh, encourages you, works with you and the team to help uh, get these big events done. Well, we meet about once a month, starting usually in August or September for the event in February. And a lot of there's a lot of carryover between that committee and like the uh, I guess I want to just another committee for their world championships, but there's a lot of crossover between those two committees. We meet once a month. Uh, John Zabriskie is the uh, chairman this year. I think he's been the chair for maybe seven years. And Dave Williams, who's also involved with the PSA Foundation, was chair for many years. And then Lonnie Essex is the treasurer, who is also a good pal of mine, but he's been involved. I, I looked at this the other day. At the end of my day, I was just going through some old records. Between the three of them, there's over 30 years of service to pro squash in Chicago. And, wow. and, and they've helped facilitate introductions to people who companies and people to be patrons or sponsors. The Mark Walter connection. You know, Mark and Kim Walter are members of the club. Um, but you know, I met them through uh, Lonnie Essex. So yeah, the committee, like, you know, honestly, like it's since the events become bigger and more professional, I think the staff does most of the heavy lifting, but the committee provides great feedback and advice along the way in terms of strategy and ticket sales and holding us to task in a, in a very uh, professional way. And then generous, like you know, this year, the patron funding, our target was uh, $90,000. It's never been that high and, and we're going to hit it. We're extremely, wow. we're, yeah, we're like less than $8,000 away. So I know we're going to hit it in the next couple of days. So yeah, great, great people. So, so Connor, and you had mentioned this to me, Connor, uh, going back to PJ with the red and green jackets, seeing that is such a, a tradition at your club. 
Have you guys ever thought about awarding a jacket to the winner of the Windy City Open, kind of like the Masters uh, gives a green jacket and the, they keep them hung down there and anybody who's a former champion can wear it around the club while they're there for the Windy City Open and kind of it be their trademark when they on court, you present the trophy and then you drape the jacket over them. We, we have thought about that. Actually, we've talked about it I, a long time ago. Connor, maybe when you were still working at the club, we yeah. talked about it. But, you know, it's another piece of the puzzle. Like, and you see on when you watch the Masters golf, right, you see the guy in the back room, like, you know. But, like, I, I guess they must fabricate six or eight jackets at the top eight for the top eight players and then have them just sitting there waiting. Um, right, right. Yeah, I think the jacket they actually put them on is probably not the one they go home with. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they, I guess that they they take one home and they keep one at the clubs. And you're, I guess, if you're the champion, you always wear one around the club. And if you see the club members during the tournament, they wear that green jacket everywhere. I mean, yeah. they wear it everywhere. Yeah, so. yeah, they're proud of it. No, that's a cool idea, Yoni. What do you think of that? Can we think we could do that? Um, I don't know. I have to think it over. I'm I'm thinking a little bit more logical that uh, squash players like travel thinking... light, <laughs> travel travel light, uh, leave things everywhere. We've had like no, winners. You, they like, would leave it at the club. Trophy or, oh, they would leave it at the club. Yeah, they would be hung at the club and that way when yeah. they showed up for the first day of the tournament and then you got, they would wear the jacket around and just signify, hey, yeah. they're a former champion. You no know, no charge for this, uh, by the way, Yanni, all the ideas were thrown <laughs> out. We don't, we don't. <laughs> I, I think there's a way, I mean, a lot of this comes down to like it needs to be sponsored and like it's it's not an insignificant cost to add but i do think it's a really interesting prestige and i was i was torn between do, would you give the green or even make a windy city open blue jacket yeah i think would we'd have be... to do a different color yeah yeah for yeah. sure for sure it's, it's a it's a cool idea Thank you. Maybe, maybe this is a uh, you, maybe maybe this is a, a a Twitter or Instagram poll question that we ask our audience and have them decide that faith. I don't know. Well, we have a, a, a wonderful sponsor, Balani Custom Clothiers. He's a squash playing member at the club, and he always donates a suit, a custom suit, to be raffled off to support the Metro Squash, our Urban Squash program, and uh, the PSA Foundation. He's doing it again this year, so. Okay. Yeah. So, so Connor told me I do get like a full complement of 10 Balani suits for each day of the tournament. Is that, (laughs) it depends on what you negotiated within the contract. Uh, I'm a a 44 long. So just if you want to throw that out. John, John, are your suits bespoke? Are they literally all nuts and bolts? Really? Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty cool thing to go through, isn't it? The whole bespoke. It's it's awesome. It's great. And and his staff is amazing. You know, they help you reflect your personal style, your personality and the stuff you pick out. So you got little intricate details on your linings and right. Right. Yeah. If you want threads threads through your pinstripes, mini Flanagan's through your white pinstripe. (laughs) I like it. I was, I was just headed to Marshall's this afternoon to get a new sport coat too. And now I can't do that. That kind of reflects when we see you on the court as well, Bill. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So so let's talk about the the event um, a, a little bit, the actual players themselves. And I'm always curious because after having worked with Connor and run the U.S. Open, we have our, our favorite players and our players who we don't like so much. So we won't put you on the spot to say about the players you guys don't like so much, although I know by Yanni's smile right there, there are there are that. Um, <laughs> in your years of running this, you guys have any favorite players where you like look forward to them to come back every year, you know, just enjoy them being there and they're, they're, they're such an integral yeah, part of the tournament? Super, super easy answer. She uh, retired, though, but um, 100%. Uh, my favorite is uh, Renee Melwalili. Yeah. Um, the 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 absolute sweetest person you'll ever meet. Um, very caring, t- amazing, fantastic squash player. Um, yeah, just pretty much on and on, on and off court. Um, the best um, experience that I have. Always checking in with my family, how everything is going, both both her and Tarek. But um, 
yeah, definitely Raneem for me. Yeah, yeah, she was, she was a sad loss in general, wasn't she, when she retired from the tour? I, I, oh, absolutely. She was yeah. my favourite female player. Um, and it's, it wasn't what she just did on the court, but it's what comes with no. it. Yeah, she was, agree, she was yeah. the real deal. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, Anyone for you, John? Uh, I always enjoy um, Ali Farag. We kind of hit it off. We spent some time talking to each other and very special world championships when his child was born in the U.S. And another one of our fabulous members, Jay Shikawa, helped expedite a, a U.S. passport for Rita, his daughter. And <laughs> just a you know great player, great athlete. Always look forward to watching him play. And I, I like his... Uh, I even switched to Dunlop rackets this year and playing with the Ali Farag model. So it, it hasn't helped that much, but it hasn't hurt. Um, and honestly, like, I guess in the past, there probably are some players who I did not look forward to seeing, but I'm just looking at the draws in front of me now. I, they're a really good group of people. Um, yeah, yeah. Greg Graltier is retired, so you know, because none of none of us liked him, so we know. We know oh, that come on, Greg! Greg! Greg used to stay at my own place. Line. Greg yeah. used to stay at my place. You know, I'm a francophone, so we uh, we had a good friendship, good relationship. All right. But, All right. Uh, yeah. but Greg, you know, he's got a mercurial temperament. There's no doubt about that. Yes, that's a very, very diplomatic way of putting that. Well, well done. Um, that's my brand, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We look forward to future for Farida Farag being a U.S. national team member because of that passport. So That's I right. told her, I told, I told Ali in Houston when the Stefanoni girls are like in their thirties, Farida will be like the young bucket, twenty something. So it'll be, it'll be a strong, strong team. Yeah. So let's dig in a little bit to uh, what the draws will be shaping up for. And the headline here is also uh, the Windy City Open being one of the largest prize money events, total pool of five hundred thousand dollars, which is. Flanagan kind of joke about this. The first time you hit the new level prize money, it was like, okay, well done. That's amazing. Second time, like, okay, you know, broken clocks right twice a day, maybe. But now that you've done a third and fourth time of just sit, setting new records. And I, I think you might be one of the, the promoters who has had the most amount of prize money flow through you in the world. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I've thought about it. Thank you. I, you know, honest to God, it just goes back to the club. I mean, I've just been lucky uh you know hard work and to get everything done and you earn people's trust i think with that and the great team at the club puts it all together and makes it happen and really i do think a lot of this just you know i'm just telling you the way i i don't want this to sound like false modesty i'm just telling you this is the way it feels to me it just felt like these things just kind of happened they just kind of fell in my lap so i didn't set out to like it wasn't my goal all right we're going to be the biggest prize money tournament in the world that was never <laughs> My goal, that was, that's Mark Walter's uh, enthusiasm for the sport, sitting behind the stands with me, watching the matches. And how much do they make again? Oh, this is crazy. These guys are so good. Let's pump it up. Let's pump it up. Okay, okay. <laughs> on, on, on that, on that uh, topic, Mark Walters, obviously, he's been a terrific addition to not only squash in Chicago, but on the, the whole world tour. What's his actual background? Does he play or is he uh, any kind of, what's his links to the game? He he's there religiously, literally every single session that I can remember. Either Mark or his partner, his wife uh, will be sitting Kim, there. Watching. Yeah, Kim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're devoted fans. Yeah. Uh, no, the, Mark's never hit a squash ball. I, I don't think Kim has either. Um, Any but, idea of the introduction or where it came yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. I I kind of alluded to it briefly earlier. Uh, Lonnie Essex, who was treasurer for the event one year, I think it was like. Maybe after we were coming out of the Great Recession, I was struggling to find anyone to be a title sponsor just for like a $20,000 event. Lonnie uh, was able to talk to Mark and got Mark involved at that level. 
and Lonnie warned me. He's like, "Hey, just so you know, you know, you're, you're getting Mark involved. Uh, be careful what you wish for, because like Mark does things big." And so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first year, he and his wife uh, Kim and their daughter Samantha came to the tournament just on our regular club courts, and they were there for the men's and women's finals. And like, man, this is amazing. This is boy, these athletes are great. Lonnie told me about this thing you do with a glass court in Cathedral Hall. What's that? How much would that cost? And a few weeks later, we sat down and talked about it and had a martini. And he's like, okay, let's do $100,000 prize money and let, let's go. Let's see what happens. And then when we did the glass court, he loves it. And he's I think one, one of the things that I think he that he uh, really appreciates about the game is the players. Like he, he understands the work ethic that they bring to the sport. He's the controlling or major shareholder of the Los Angeles Dodgers and now the Los Angeles Lakers as well. And he gets it. He knows what it takes to the work ethic it takes. And he thinks that squash is a great product and it's undervalued. And he's made connections with the players. You know, he's, he's, yeah, you, you know, can see that. You can see that he's uh, very invested, isn't he? You can, and the same with Kim. You know, Kim is actually at every session pretty much. Mark usually comes to the evening ones religiously, but yeah. Kim's made strong connections with the players too. And what's sportsmanship that the they show on court is great and fan engagement at the club is good. So I, I see Mark, you know, we he's committed through 2027 with the World Championships and Windy City Open. I don't see it fading away after that. So with, with him being involved with basketball and baseball and the, and the fan noise, and especially in the NBA when like there's – music playing like while the ball's in play and did, does he have any thoughts on what we talked about with uh with there being more ambient noise going on while the squash is going on has he ever mentioned anything such as that um no but i think you know mark is uh he understands the the entertainment value and would like to figure out you know, how to maximize it for the sport as well you know I, I think he's one of these guys hey let's try some stuff let's see if it works you know um and the organizations he's been involved in my understanding is he's not really a silent partner <laughs> he, he expresses his opinion and and uh and he's you know he's a very smart guy he's been very successful with everything he's done so um great connection so the draws for this tournament just came out last week um obviously every player is going to be there it, it is the biggest tournament of the year for sure uh it, going on right now so um PJ, looking looking at the event, we always look at the top players. We always look at Norel Sherbini, and then we look at Ali Farag. With the difference being that now that the Farag um, call back and forth number one that we that we've bandied about quite a bit. Um, yeah. um, what are what are your thoughts being the the resident expert on the PSA tour, PJ, of the draws for the Windy City, and who are your favorites to uh, to go through to the end? And there's a, there's a few things that have kind of uh, caught my attention coming into this uh, particular event. Um, obviously, women's draw, you've got Shabini and Goha, number one and number two seeds, respectively. That's a rivalry that's really starting to gain momentum uh, between those two. We do have the return of Norel Tayeb uh, coming back into the fray. I've not seen her play since uh, she took time away from the tour and, and had her baby. And she will be coming up against the US Open sensation, Olivia Fichter. Uh, in potentially the second round. I think it's the second round there. So that would be a, a good test for both, first of all, for Taib to see how her game's faring and to see whether Olivia can back up uh, that terrific performance from uh, from Philadelphia. Um, another matchup that really I'm looking forward to seeing is she was the uh, player of the month last year. Uh, sorry, last month. Uh, Gina Kennedy from the UK. She had another great run in the US Open. A girl, young girl from the UK, Harvard graduate. 
She'll be coming up against Hamami in the second round, and that's going to be an interesting test up for for Hania just to see to, to, to see how she's getting on. Um, and another return that we haven't seen for many a year actually is is Rachel Grinham from Australia, former world number one and, and world champion. She's come back into the fray after quite a bit of time out of the game. She's managed to get some. Uh, I think the, some of the restrictions have lifted lifted in Australia, so she can now travel, which hasn't been a a possibility for for the last couple of years, and she'll be featuring in, in this this draw. So there's quite a lot to to look forward to in the in the women's event um, that I'm seeing. But again, we've we've discussed this on some of our previous podcasts. At the moment, for me, the top three or four in the ladies really have separated themselves from the rest of the field. So I don't really see too many shocks, and I I, I would predict a Shabinian Goha final in that one um maybe her mammy can throw her, her tuppence worth in but uh, i mean the, the the women's draw uh, like, like the men's it's littered with quality right the way throughout as it should be you know biggest biggest part of money in the world and, and the first time this event's been on for a while so uh, i can see some some very tasty matchups uh, in yeah, Kennedy, Kennedy from England, she she intrigues me so. Uh, she, she is an up and comer. She reminds me of a, a little bit of like Sabrina Sobi, the way she moves around the court, like really fast. But she seems to be a little more patient and and be a little more mature with her play. And I mean, I could see her at when she gets a little more problem with her. She for some reason, as well as she does, she still never gets the buy into the second round. So she she always has the toughest draws. But she really puts the scare into people, and I think. Down the road, she is going to be a force to be reckoned with. When you when you look at the natural speed and and uh, the athleticism that she has, if she can start to develop her court craft a little bit more and make a few technical tweaks, the more court time that she gets against these top players and the experience that she gains, I, I really do see a potential for her to start challenging those top, especially the top ten players in the world. Her, her rise has been pretty meteoric. And I think now she'll she'll taper off a little bit, and now she'll need to gain a little bit more experience as she starts to really push on. Yeah, I think it's important, especially on the women's side, that we we get an Amanda Sobe or a Georgina Kennedy or a, a Sarah you know Sarah Jane Perry, someone to break up the the Egyptian dominance. I mean, nothing wrong. Their their play is obviously very stellar, but it's you know always good to have someone else in there. Uh, yeah. You know, you know to spice it up a little bit because I mean, obviously a Sherbini Gohar final, the quality of play is going to be spectacular. Yeah. But I think with another uh, another fan favorite in there, like a, like obviously the, the dream matchup would be a Sobi Sherbini or a Sobi Gohar, right? You know, Amer- an American on an on American soil getting to the finals. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully something like that we'll will see. happen. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Well, so. I think, did Amanda make it to the semis in last Windy City or World Champs? It's World Champs. Supporters. Yeah. Yeah, she's got a big fan base in Chicago. So it'd be mm-hmm. interesting to see a Sobi Gohar matchup. But, uh, uh, Gohar's just seems indomitable at some point yeah. in time, you know? Yeah. yeah I, th- I think she's also um, relocated, John. I think she's spending a bit more time in the U S now. She's starting to do some work with Rodney Martin. Mm. Um, so he'll look to work on specific areas of her game that maybe need uh, a little bit of tweaking and a bit of improvement. So again, you know, if you see her working on the certain uh, areas of her game that maybe are lacking a little bit more variety and a bit more variation of pace, given the pace of the game that she plays at, if she can mm. improve that side of things, then I, I see her and Shabini, who's already taken the bar to a new height 
I, I, I see those two potentially, especially with uh, Hamami hot on the hills, who's, who's a lot younger. Then I think, again, that the level of the women's squash over the last two to three years has just completely uh, surpassed any anything we've seen previously. So exciting. It's definitely exciting times in the, in the women's side of the side of the draw. For sure. Yeah. So going over the men's side, obviously Ali Farag, uh, the, the big news is that Paul Call is now the world number one starting March 1st, I believe. So this, the final will take place right after um, Paul like takes, takes his spot on the top of the mountain. Right. So yeah. we could actually yeah. have Paul call. It, it, it's funny. It's kind of like watching one of these NCAA basketball games where like the team gets uh, number one in the, in the polls and they lose the next game. So uh, we could have Paul call, um, being number one, and then literally the next night, because the final is March 2nd, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, Paul, Paul right. called um, playing Ali Farag, number two in the world. And then, you know, uh, th- what, that, what, a, what a matchup, right? Like the, yeah. the new no- world number one against the old world number one. So the possibility there, if the seats hold, would be, would be incredible. And I think that would be really good for the game. I think the publicity behind that matchup, mm. if both of those guys stay on their current trajectory, would just be incredible. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Farag's coming into this at the one seed, Cole's at two, Cole coming in as number one in March. I just feel that there is a little bit more unpredictability about the men's draw and the men's game. And we've seen that last yes, last night. Diego Elias has taken Paul Cole down in, in that particular draw. You've got such a tight knit close of players anywhere from kind of 12 up to, up to number one now. On any given day, those players are, are capable of beating anybody else and that's what's going to make this such a such an enticing draw Tarek Moman last night lost to Faris Dasuki Dasuki's come he's come back from injury he's going to be featuring in the Windy City he's not been there for a couple of years he loves playing in Chicago um, but he's got a tough draw he's up against either Yusuf Solomon who takes on Mazen Hisham who uh, had another good run in the black ball so there's so many players that if they do hit their stride could potentially be taking taking the the, the, the title here, uh, I, but I still see I still see Cole and Farag on going on their their form, making it through. And those two played in the when did they play in the final at the Windy City? Was it two years ago? When I think was it two years uh, ago? Ali? Well, no, that was just the World Championships last year, wasn't it? Paul and Ali in the finals. Was it? As yeah. it was it? In, and that was in five, right? I think. Yeah, uh, Cole, yeah, Cole was up. Cole was up, yep. He was up, yeah. I so want to see if, if Cole makes it, and I, I think I'm uh, looking at the quarterfinal possibilities, Cole and Macon. That would yeah. be uh, <laughs> yeah. an incredible battle. They're both like monsters on the court. Yeah, yeah I think an, an even an even enticer one is at the top half of the draw, a potential quarterfinal matchup between uh, Jago Elias and Mohamed El Shurbagi. That's mm-hmm. a potential setup with the three and five seed. Yeah, um, I mean, Shabagi's been out for a while. He's he's come back. He, exactly. Apparently, he's hungry. He's rejuvenated, but unfortunately, he doesn't have age on his side anymore. So, uh, another yeah, great opportunity and, there. And, and uh, with Elias in good form, confidence will be high for him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot to look forward to. There, I mean, there's a world championship feel to this tournament coming up. I mean, if you look at it, you know, especially with no TOC, as I said before. I mean, coming into this and some of the matchups and with the world number one being uh, James. There is really a lot of juice behind this event, so it's really something to look forward to. 
It's a, it's about as strong as a, a draw as you could possibly hope for. I, I don't see any I don't see any way that this could this could be any stronger than it is, and the, the timing's perfect. The players are going to be relatively rested after the Christmas period. There was no TOC, mm. so there's been a couple of smaller events where they can get you know maybe get some of the rust out of their system and and hit full stride. So, Windy City is going to be a perfect platform for for these guys to be putting their stuff on display. Definitely. Um. So so last question from me. Um, having not been to Chicago, John, since the 2011 U.S. Open, I wow. think was the last time I was there. Ten. Uh, was it was it ten? The one that was held in the, in the uh, at McCarran Park. Is that the uh, name? Uh, Millennium Park? Yeah, Millennium the, Millennium yeah. Park. Yeah, 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 yeah 2010. Yeah. yeah, that was 2010. 2010. So, um, what's the the uh, the night sessions take hold and there's no more day sessions? Where where am I going for a quintessential Chicago food experience? <laughs> Well, the place that the, a lot of us go to is actually partly because of location and partly because the service and the food is great as the gauge. Uh -huh. uh, just right around the corner. Uh, uh, happens to be owned by one of our club members, wonderful man, uh, Billy Lawless uh, of Irish Extraction. Um, PJ, we spent a fair amount of time there, right? Yes, we did. Yes. <laughs> Most of it I can remember, John. Most of it. <laughs> not, not uh, I remember last year putting my hair up like Joey's. Like, oh, uh, my God. So, yeah, that's a great place. Uh, like I say, it's very convenient. Another place, if it gets late, is uh, down the road a little bit, uh, but within walking distance for sure, is called Miller's Pub. Miller's uh, Pub. I remember that when we went yeah. at that last U.S. Open. I think I spent every night there at Miller's Pub. That makes sense because it was always really late. Uh, really late. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. And they're one of the few places that that's open late that still serve good food. Um, Excellent. Yoni, do you have any? Yeah, another option. I have, I have to give a shout out to uh, one of our amazing uh, board members and restaurant owners uh, is Rohini Day. Uh, her restaurant is called Vermilion. It's about five to seven minutes from the club on Hubbard Street. Um, amazing food yeah. uh, will really get your taste buds going. It's a fusion of uh, Latin and Indian. So if you're um, a little bit, want a little bit something different, then yeah, that's another great option. Oh, I look forward to that because actually I, I, I emailed several times with Rohini Day. I imagine she must have children who play squash. Yeah. Yes, both, both of her girls play squash. I've been blessed enough to coach both of them. Uh, the one is on her way at Vassar Sahar. And then her other daughter is uh, soon to be off to Colby College. So uh, both of them are doing great. And wow. it was awesome to have them in our squash program. Huh, yeah. I wonder if I could say I was really nice to you in emails. Could you get me a table? Would that work or no? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would work. She's, she's okay. very, It would definitely work, yes. Very gracious. And like Yoni said, the food at Vermilion's great. And Rohini's very well known in the restaurant industry. Women X is a group of restaurateurs that she's uh, founded. She's, she's, she's a force of nature, as I like to say. Excellent. Excellent. Looking, <laughs> looking forward to it. As much as I'm looking forward to the squash, I am definitely looking forward to, uh, I, I remember having some unbelievable beef sandwiches and some unbelievable hot dogs the last time I was in Chicago. I don't re quite remember where they were. It was like kind of all, uh, you know, a blur at that time. So looking forward to, uh, to hitting that scene again. Any last questions, anyone, Connor? No, I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's always just, uh, just a special event and it really also shows just how much the Chicago community get behind this event. Like it really comes out from all, yeah. all parts uh, to come, come down and see it. So one thing I, I, I didn't mention, that I want to toss out there is, you know, Metro squash has been a partner of the event for, it'll be 17 years now, I think this year. 
and we we've got some support from constellation brands we do on saturday is going to be metro squash day and we're going to give a scholarship uh, away thanks to constellation brands and some other folks who donate money to a very deserving young woman that's always a cool part of the event and you know, lots of metro squash kids will uh, hopefully be there they weren't at the world championships because of the virus but Hopefully there'll be a lot of kids there every day and they're working on a second facility, opening up a new facility in the Evanston area. That's their goal for the upcoming year or two. So they're still very much a integral part of the event. They help us with some of the planning and great to have that atmosphere and feel on board. And I know that Mark and Kim Walter are very supportive of the organization and it's great to have them involved. Will David Kay be involved with the second venue as well, John? Um, Yes. Um, David is actually, uh, we had a, we had a mandate yesterday. We went to an archery range and, uh, (laughs) and then to to a cigar lounge. Um, but that that uh, sounds like much more his speed to be fair. (laughs) I would have said ax throwing, but you know, (laughs) anyway, David's having a hip replacement surgery on February 22nd. Oh, Uh, he was supposed to be in January, but the virus, uh, you know, moved it off. So, He's going to be there at the event, probably just the later days. So good luck to David with his. Yeah, uh, he's a great guy. He's, he's a yeah. legend. Yeah, he's sure. yeah so it's January 30th. We're, we're not long, not far away from the event. Are you guys, I'm sure you guys have it all under control. It's all prepared. <laughs> you guys have no nothing else to do. Just roll the balls out and play, correct? That's it. We're, yeah, that's, yeah, just, I'll keep telling myself that. It's all going to work out. It always does. So we got a track record. I keep saying, but you know, we were able to do it, uh, whatever, 20 times we can do it one more. Exactly. Well, we're looking forward to it. We appreciate you guys coming on. Um, it, it is going to be the biggest squash event of the year, uh, of 20, 2022. So everyone's looking forward to it. Um, so can't wait to be out there and can't wait to see you guys. Well, we're looking forward to it as well. And uh, thanks for having us on. We're uh, very excited about the event, obviously. Yeah, I agree. Thank you for for having us. Um, You know, keep an eye on social. We're trying to get as many people in as we can, give the players the support they deserve and need, and uh, just make it the best squash tournament we can. We, We try to make it better every year. If you present a jacket to the winner, you could take full credit for it. Don't worry about it. You don't have to say we do that idea. I most certainly will. I'm going to think about that Twitter poll and see if I can get that up and running. (laughs) See what what comes back. 